the house of haunted scriptures, where all October long we'll be talking about the bloodiest, the creepiest, the scariest stories in all of the Bible. What you're about to hear may disturb you. Hey there, welcome to the House of Bliss. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but that's the pitter-patter of rain on the window. It is a beautiful Halloween day. I'm so excited. Halloween's one of my favorite days of the years. Not so I can, uh, you know, worship Satan or whatever, but so I can be Jesus to the world in a, in a really fun way. Everybody is looking for the supernatural power of Jesus. They just don't know where to look. And I happen to know, and I am so excited to share. So I'll be going with some friends tonight. We'll be handing out candy. We'll be praying for people. I'm expecting Jesus to show up in power and love. Yes, what a great day to be alive. <laughs> Woo, thank you, Lord. Now you might be thinking, wait a second, you're recording this in October, why am I hearing this in November? Well, as many of you know, it takes me hours upon hours to, to work on this show and make it something special and I don't always have the time because uh, between you know kids and church and work and having a band and all this stuff um, there's only a certain amount of hours I can give to this but uh, thanks to my amazing generous fabulous patrons a huge portion of my week that I would usually have to give to painting houses or working on subway or whatever I can actually devote to creating this show and so I want to just give a shout out to Rick, Alana, Julie, Micah, and also to Justin for tripling your pledge. You guys are so freaking generous. It blows my mind. Thank you. Now, if you're thinking, I'd like to be one of those exclusive champions and get all the goodies they're receiving, well, it's it's just as easy as hitting the link in the description. And for as little as a dollar a month, I bet you that if you look in your dryer right now, you will find enough uh, for one month of this. Um, for one dollar a month or more, you can get all kinds of amazing exclusive rewards. Whether you pay a million dollars a month or a dollar a month, it's all the same. You get access to things like new music coming out from my band before anybody gets to hear it. You get stuff like live sermons. I'm actually going to be doing a school of happy evangelism for four weeks where I'll be activating people in the supernatural, helping them preach Jesus fearlessly to their friends and coworkers. Uh, if that sounds awesome to you, man, you'll get those recordings too. So it's a really great time to become a patron. Also, if you like the show but you're not so sure about all that, well, please just do me a favor and give me a five-star rating with a review. Uh, it'll only take 30 seconds, but it'll be a huge blessing. So, here we are. The grand finale of our House of Haunted Scriptures. You know, it's a little bit like Scooby-Doo when they unmask a villain. What seemed like a scary monster, it was actually just some sweaty nerd in a costume. Well, the Bible's a little bit like that. You see, when you peel back the layers, the passages that make God out to be a violent, sociopathic, uh, fire-breathing crazy man, actually reveal a tender-hearted father. So I highly recommend that if you're able, you go back to parts one and two. 
because this right here, this is the grand conclusion and all of these ideas have built on one another. And so many of the questions that might perk up as you're listening to this will probably get answered there. So today, I want to talk about judgments. There's no area more fearful or misunderstood than judgment. I used to be terrified of the idea of appearing before the throne of God to be judged. Because I know for a fact that I eat way too much ice cream and beef jerky to not be in eternally hot water. (laughs) But how often do you hear so-called prophets say things like, If America doesn't repent, it's going to be judged. In fact, I actually remember as a youngin um, preaching to a youth group back in 2011 that each one of us would appear before the terrible great white throne, before his infinite wrath, and unless we're shielded by the blood of Jesus, we would endure endless ages of hell and whatever. (laughs) And the funny thing is, all during that year, I was addicted to porn. So let's just say I lived with a bit of anxiety. But I think what the real issue comes down to is that we think judgment is about destruction. Now, to be sure, judgment necessarily involves a form of destruction, but the end is never destruction. The end is always restoration. So even in the worst case Old Testament scenarios, there's this punctuation of messianic prophecies about redemption and resurrection and restoration. So what if I told you that God's judgment is not only good news, but if you properly understood it, you would welcome it? So in this final episode here, I want to discuss one of the scariest passages of Scripture. And I want to help you see that behind it all, it is actually still good news. We're going to read the passage, then we're going to go back and reframe the concept of judgment, and then we'll go back to the passage and look at it in a new light. So are you with me on this? This is Hebrews chapter 10. It says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And here we go, this is it. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. (laughs) Yikes. Man, put that one on your uh, motivational posters. I I can just see it right now. You've got like a kitten on the mountainside and... (laughs) Yes. I want to try something here. I want you to close your eyes unless you're driving. And imagine that I have absolute knowledge of God's plans. And everybody knows this about me. Let's say I call a press conference and I invite every news outlet because I'm about to drop a fat, exciting announcement. 
Let's say the whole world is watching me with bated breath, and I begin. Hello, planet Earth. Within the next three years, all racism is going to be exposed and uprooted. Every system built on racism will be torn down. Every fortune made through racism will be returned. Every hurt will be healed. Every mind will be restored. God is going to deal with racism so thoroughly that by 2023, it will be an entirely racism-free planet. Pandemonium breaks out. People are dancing in the streets. Every street corner is filled with songs and shouts. Champagne foam is flying everywhere. It seems the whole world is rejoicing. But not everybody joins the party. The end of racism would be unbelievably good news for all of us, right? Well, that is unless your identity and livelihood are built on racism. There's actually a moment just like this in the Bible where John the Baptist says, Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be chopped down and burned. Now, you've got to realize he is not talking about people and their sin issues here. He's actually spelling doom for the religious system that kept the public from truly knowing God, the Pharisees. So this was amazing news. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's running out to the desert to get baptized. Like this is good news for everyone. Well, except for the gatekeepers who are profiting off of people's guilt. You see, some people, they want to make the judgment about, uh, they want to make the judgment of God about destruction. But I believe that the essence of judgment is about all things being made right. It's wherever there was mourning, there will be joy. Where there were ashes, there will be beauty. Where there was death, there will be life. Where there was hate, there will be love. This is inevitable. This is happening. Jesus has conquered darkness and the light of the gospel will fill every corner and heart on this planet. So when the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, it's not because he wants to kill you. It's because he wants to transfigure you. The flames of judgment are the very flames of Pentecost. Now, even for those who set themselves against God, this is ultimately really good news. But our experience of this reality correlates to the posture of our hearts. The reason it's fearful is because nobody is getting out of this. When, you know, when we start talking about the wrath of God or whatever, uh, people start saying, oh, or are you saying that people can just sin and people are just going to get away with stuff? And as Brian Zahn says, listen, nobody is getting away with anything. You're not getting out of this. If you insist on holding on to the false self, it will feel like pulling teeth. And like a toddler, you can scream all the way to the dentist if you want, but it is happening. Uh, one way or another, light will shine on all darkness. Everything uttered in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Every action, every thought will be touched by the fire of God. You can run. You can run maybe even for the rest of your existence, but you cannot hide. But I love this. Julian of Norwich uh, began having all these open visions with Jesus. And at one point, they asked Jesus why sin ever happened in the first place. And this is what Jesus said. He said, I love this. 
It was necessary that there should be sin, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. <laughs> oh. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that again over you. It was necessary that there should be sin, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. So Justin Paul Abraham puts it this way. Justice is a manifestation of God's raw love against the structures of iniquity. Justice and judgment are never unto death, but they are always unto life. He goes on to read from Isaiah 26, For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. In other words, it will make that which is wrong right again. He goes on to quote Psalm 19, Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. So although the judgment seat of Christ is a future event in some capacity, it is also a now event. Uh, we are a people that live in the now of God. So his judgment can come upon you now and burn up all of the things that oppose love. It can burn up all of the things that shouldn't be in the garden of his desire. What is judgment? Judgment is God bringing every falsehood into submission to the truth. Well, what is the truth? Well, the truth about you and me and every human being that has ever lived or will live is that God is our Father and He has rescued us from our self-made hellish existence and all the powers of darkness. So in saying this, I believe you are completely pure already. You're holy. You're brand new. You're a brand new creation because you have died with Christ and you have raised with Christ. But our outward manifestations are directed by what we believe. So lies and all of the manifestations that come with them have to come under the truth in order for us to live and shine with our true nature. What is judgment? Judgment is not about punishment or revenge or even personal offense on the part of God. We know, uh, if you've listened to the series, that the wrath of God is for us, but it is against the sin which hurts us. Judgment is about setting captives free. It's about restoration. What it's really about is the increase of his government that displaces and destroys every form of government rooted in the lie of the fall. This is always how God's judgment works. And whether or not that's good news honestly depends entirely on how rooted in the false reality you've become. If everything that you think you know about yourself and the nature of reality is a lie, judgment may be a bit of a bumpy ride. <laughs> but if you, like me, uh, as a young man, you've hit the end of the road, you are just done with life disillusioned, oh my gosh, judgment is the most sweet and amazing news that your ears could possibly hear. It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that every mountain will be leveled and every valley will be lifted at the foot of the cross. Hmm. <laughs> Whew, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Whew. Oh, man. In a little bit, we're going to dive more into Hebrews directly. But before I do that, 
I just want to share one more thing about judgment. When you have a destruction view of judgment, it's super easy to read that into texts. Uh, for example, Peter talks about how the earth will be burned up in a blazing fire. How many of you guys have heard people say like, you know, what does it matter if you have this house or that house? It's all going to burn anyway. How many people have, you know, how many people do you know who've like bought end times bunkers so they can escape the, you know, the rapture, the apocalypse, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm going to share a quote with you really quick. Um, it's a really heady quote, but if you can follow it, it'll blow your mind. This is from an Orthodox guy by the name of Sergis Bulgogov. Just say that with me. Sergis Bulgogov. <laughs> this is Sergis Bulgogov on the Perusia, which is, uh, that's just the fancy word for the second coming of Christ. He says, in scripture, the Perusia is a, remember, that's the second coming, is accompanied by the fire of the world, the destruction of the world, followed by its transformation. But this does not signify a succession or coincidence in time of two parallel events. It is one and the same event. The coming of Christ in glory and the revelation of glory to the world correspond to the action of the Holy Spirit. This fire, in which the present heavens and earth will be consumed on the day of judgment, when the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, signifies the passage of the world through Pentecost. The Pentecost's fiery tongues become the flame of the world fire, not consuming, but transmuting the world. Jesus Christ, that is a loaded quote. Hallelujah. So here, he's basically saying that the same fires that lit up the believers on Pentecost is the very same fire that will come to destroy and burn off all the effects of the fall. But just like Moses, who was hidden in the cleft of the rock, was preserved from destruction and instead transfigured by the glory of God, so all of creation is united and hidden in Christ and will be transfigured, not destroyed, by the consuming fire of God. Oh, seriously, this is why I love the Orthodox Church. I just don't think my beard game is on point enough to, to join. Uh, so to summarize my thoughts here on judgment, the judgment of God is not a destroying force, but a restoring force that sometimes appears as destruction. What makes it terrifying is that it's inevitable. Uh, you will be confronted by it, and your heart's posture is what determines your experience. So with all of that in mind, let's take a quick dive back into Hebrews chapter 10. But before we do that, why don't we go ahead and just take a quick breather. Hey there, welcome back. We're going to get back to Hebrews. But before we get way deep into that, let me just say one quick thing about the Bible. I think the reason we get Hebrews so wrong is because we make two major, major mistakes as modern American Bible readers. First, we like to read the Bible like it's a fortune cookie. <laughs> we think every word is written to us and that if I just read, you know, two lines a day here, two lines a day there, God will speak to me and that's somehow how the Bible works. 
The problem is uh, we then ignore the fact that the Bible was written in a real time, in a real place, to real people going through real things. Let me just say this. The Bible is not helpful to us because it's written to us. Uh, like I can be inspired by a movie even though it's not about me. No, but the Bible is helpful because in understanding their story and journey with God, we can begin to make sense of our story and journey. The second huge mistake we often make is we think everything is about the afterlife. We read heaven and hell into passages that have absolutely jack squat to do with what happens when you die. One of the most important scholars on first century culture, N.T. Wright, says that he's always baffled by how much Americans fixate on heaven and hell. <laughs> he was talking about how annoyed he gets at Q&As when whenever American speaks, it all, he, they always want to ask him about heaven and hell. And Hebrews 10 is a prime example. So what we do is we read that passage in Hebrews 10 and think, oh, wow, this is so for me. And it's telling me all the bad stuff that's going to happen on judgment day when I die. But hear me out here. The judgment passages in Hebrews are not primarily about you. What they are about is the, wait for it, Hebrews. Uh, secondly, these passages are not about heaven and hell. They are about real things that were happening in the time of their writing. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying you throw them out, but I'm just saying that it's really important to understand how they apply to us. So with all that in mind, let's talk about Hebrews. Let's talk about he Hebrews. Let's talk about judgment. <laughs> By the way, uh, I just want to point out, I'm not a scholar. I'm not an expert. I'm just a podcaster. It's so funny because sometimes I'll go out and pray for people on the streets or whatever, and they'll be like, are you a pastor? And I'll just be like, no, I'm just a podcaster. <laughs> but to start, <clears throat> let's just take a quick look at the central conflict of the book. Hebrews is written to Jewish converts of Christianity. Uh, they were under heavy persecution, not only from Rome and company, but from mostly from the Jewish religious system. The reason this book exists is because there were folks running around, uh, threatening Christians, persecuting them, trying to get them to go back to the law of Moses. So this theme actually is throughout many of the letters of Paul, particularly in Galatians, where he goes off on some epic rants. <laughs> I love it. He says that he had to slap Peter down over this issue. <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a huge contention. It actually caused many Christians to fall away under the pressure and revert back to Judaism. So the whole first 10-ish chapters of this book are about how Jesus is the most high God and the covenant he established is infinitely better than the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant, if you might, if you remember, that's on Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given. It's what my, people might call the Old Covenant. Uh, it deals with humanity's damaged relationship with God by offering sacrifices to cleanse the conscience, uh, the conscience rather, and allow people to worship God without guilt. But its effect was limited because they had to keep offering sacrifices to shed their guilt. So think of the old covenant a bit like a band-aid. Now the new covenant is secured by Jesus Christ's blood. 
and is therefore permanent. So instead of the relationship of God and man being secured by man's choice, it is permanently, completely secured by Jesus' perfect choice on your behalf. If the old covenant was a shadow, the new covenant is the blinding light of day. So Hebrews makes the emphatic point that the old covenant is obsolete and must fall away. Now, this does not mean, (laughs) this is where people go wrong here. This does not mean that the old covenant was bad, but only that it served its purpose and it's now passing away. So the last half of Hebrews uh, deals with encouraging and exhorting and in some ways almost pleading with the Christians to just stay focused on Jesus, to enter into his rest and not fall back into the works-based system of Judaism. So why does this matter, you might be asking? Because not only was Judaism built on a now obsolete system, but it's built, it was built on a system that was about to meet a violent end. Have you ever read the New Testament and noticed all the language about soon and coming wrath, about impending judgment? Like, have you ever felt the urgency there? This isn't because the apostles were mistakenly thinking that the end of the world was coming, but actually it's going to be like another 2,000 plus years away. Uh, That's what we read into it. Remember, that's the mistake we made. We make it about uh, the apocalypse and heaven and hell. But the reason it was so urgent to them is because truly the most devastating event in all of Jewish history was just a few short years away. In AD 70, Uh, I think four or five years after Hebrews was written, Roman soldiers surrounded Jerusalem and burnt it to the ground. Before that, they actually blocked all of the exits to the city and let nearly a million people starve to death. Uh, There's historic writings that say even the Roman soldiers were distressed by having to like walk over the piles of bodies of starved people. Not only that, they completely and utterly destroyed the temple. And you got to realize that was the house of God. It was the single most important part of Jewish identity. And it was desecrated, defiled, and destroyed by the Romans. So Jesus actually prophesied that this would happen, and he said, not one stone will be laid on another. He said nothing worse than this would ever happen to the Jews. Now, you might hear that and think, well, what about the Holocaust? And yeah, absolutely, that was atrocious. But this was a specifically awful event because it totally cut the knees out of Judaism. In fact, to this very day, There's no temple. There's no sacrifices. Judaism never recovered in 2,000 years from the destruction of the temple. It just stays there, a shadow of what it once was. So much of the language of judgment in the New Testament, it sounds so immediate because it was. Now, it may not have been the end of the world, but it was absolutely the end of their world. So all that talk in Hebrews chapter 10 about judgment and the house of God, all of that happened very literally. So when Hebrews, now when Hebrews talks about somebody going, uh, you know, if somebody willfully goes back to sinning after knowing the truth, the only thing that remains is a fearful expectation of judgment. uh, That's what he's talking about. 
when it says there's no longer a sacrifice that to be made for sin, uh, that's what he means. He's not saying that you can't say sorry. What he's saying is, how could you try to go back to the blood of bulls when the perfect blood of Jesus was already shed for you? Hebrews 10.18 says, where there is forgiveness, there is no longer an offering for sin, because God has already forgiven mankind in Christ. There's no such thing as a sin offering anymore. So they're pretty much trying to go back to a system that's a dead end, and it leaves you cursed on top of that. Uh, it leaves you in this loop of trying to earn forgiveness that's already been given. So, you you know, think of it this way. You can't go back through an old avenue to attain a forgiveness that God already permanently gave you in a new avenue. It would be like trying to leave the safety of shore to climb onto a sinking ship. The writer calls this dead works. Now, if you listen to part two of this series, you know that wrath is not about anger. God was not angry with the Jewish people when the destruction came, but the destruction happened because the old and new covenants cannot coexist. You can't have a little bit of grace and a little bit of law. You can't have a little bit of forgiveness in Christ and a little bit of forgiveness through sacrifice. No, it had to be destroyed. The religious system had to be torn down brick by brick. And unfortunately, some people were so invested in the sinking ship that they went down with it. God was not angry at them. Remember, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, was weeping over the fate of Jerusalem. But they stubbornly clung to a system where death was the inevitable result. They refused the open invitation to life. Now the good news is, I really don't believe that was the end of the story for them. I don't believe they're in hell. Death is never the end of the story for anybody. So, let me bring this home. First of all, all of this talk about fearful judgment in Hebrews has mostly nothing to do with you and your personal sin. If you are not a first century Jew, flip-flopping between the mercy of Jesus and the inevitable destruction of the Jewish religion, then it's not about you. At least I don't think you're a first century Jew. No, but the sin that Hebrews is addressing is not about greed or watching porn or eating too much. It is specifically dealing with the sin of unbelief. The unbelief of running back to a law-based system that Jesus made obsolete. Uh, the metaphor that's used is the Exodus, where the slaves wanted to go back to Egypt rather than entering into the promised land. It's almost as if the freedom made them so nervous that they wanted to go back to the bondage that they came from. And that right there is one of the things that makes judgment terrifying. is because the prospect of complete and utter freedom, uh, for some people, that is like a breath of fresh air. For others, it's like they've never even known or imagined what that could be like, and it makes them nervous. So why is this important to you? Because you can't have the theology of Hebrews without taking into account where on the timeline of history it sits. The context is everything. This passage Hebrew in Hebrews chapter 10, it is not about you in a direct sort of way, but it does apply to you in this way. The judgment of God is very real. And if your heart is set on him, oh, it's the most wonderful and healing thing. 
It's those tender moments with Jesus where he gently points out to you a lie that's holding you down. Uh, it's those moments where you begin to understand like why you're lashing out in anger, or why you're struggling with anxiety or fear. It's true freedom. On the flip side, if your heart is set against God and you don't want to deal with those things, well, that's a totally different story. But either way, there is no escape because all darkness and human understanding will be finally and completely lit up by the light of God. Stay with me here because now I'm going to really bring this home for you. I want to give you one final thought about dead works, and then I want to pray for you guys. Uh, there's another judgment passage that talks about how everything that we build will be tested by fire. So if we build, it says if we build out of hay and wood, our life's work will be burned up. Now it says that you yourself will be saved, but as one who passes through fire. Um, imagine all of your days, all of your time, your energy, your sweat, your blood, your tears just poof, being gone in an instant. Man, if your identity is so rooted in what you do that there's almost nothing left at the end of the day when it's burned up, man, that that's going to feel... Uh, probably pretty difficult. However, it says this, anyone who builds with gold or costly stones, their work will stand. So the whole argument of Hebrews is that we must enter into the rest or accomplishment of Christ on the cross. Anything else is dead works. Uh, we can no longer engage with God based on our self-effort. Our only reference point is it is finished. So anything that we do from it is finished will stand. But whatever we do out of a need to impress God or appease him or earn his love will be burned up. So instead of being afraid of a bad interpretation of Hebrews, I invite you right now to surrender yourself to the loving arms of Abba Father. He is absolutely for you. He is so for you, in fact, that he will happily tear down anything in your heart or mind that keeps you from knowing him fully. Right here, right now, you are the safest that you've ever been. You are leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarm. And the blood of Jesus is there, speaking a better word of you, now and forever. No matter how you've judged yourself, he has judged you as righteous, as brand new, worthy of love and affection, bound to experience greater and greater revelations of his loving kindness for endless millennia to come. Just when you think that your entire being will explode with thankfulness, awe, and wonder, another tsunami wave of grace will come crashing down, dwarfing all the millions of years of bliss you've experienced thus far. Mm. Now, if you want to, <laughs> you can kick against the goats like Brother Saul. But why fight it another second, beloved? Why not just resign yourself to this all-consuming, exquisite fire of love? For you, my dear listener, I want to encourage you 
to fall into his arms because it's a beautiful thing to fall into the hands of Abba Father. Jesus. Ugh. Daddy God, I thank you that there is no earning your love. Lord, we invite your judgment on our hearts right now. God, we open up our soul in the most vulnerable places to you to shine your light and show us what you see. Think that every mindset that sets itself up against the knowledge of you, the knowing of you, the enjoying is going to be completely torn down. Lord, I thank you that every manifestation that doesn't add up with Christ Jesus himself is just crashing and crumbling, being burned in the fire of your love. Lord, we thank you. Transfigure us. We want to glow. We want to glow like Moses. We want to shine like Jesus Christ on the mountain. We thank you, Lord, that we have come to Mount Zion. Not Mount Sinai with a blazing fire of fear, but we have come to a huge party filled with angels and saints welcoming us into the bliss of your eternal love forever and ever. And right now, Lord, I just just pray if anybody has a fearful expectation of judgment, I pray that you just remove that now in the name of Jesus. I declare deliverance. I declare freedom, freedom. Thank you, Lord. The spirit of religion, which has tried to put a wedge between you and your beloved people, we just cast that thing down right now in Jesus' name. Whew. Yeah. I thank you, Lord, truly, that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Amen. Whoa.